I liked that it was just as much about Kenna as it was Barbie. Yeah. Yes. We have to bleep out some spoilers, Michael. Jeez. No, it's been out long enough. I think if it's past the like two week window, it's you think? too bad. There was some yes. children that I was like, this is not a child's movie. No, this was it was not a child's movie. I would say like late middle <laughs> no, schooler. Absolutely not. Late middle schooler, maybe, but But would you say Mean Girls was a child movie? Because I like definitely saw that when I was like in middle school. No. I saw that when I was a little bit older and I saw it on a whim and then watched it ten times in a row because I was like, this is dark and hilarious. Okay, but but what's a child's movie? What's the it, your definition of a child's movie? Like is it appropriate for a high schooler? Is that your definition? I guess, yeah. Like PG thirteen. Okay. Well, I mean, if you went to a middle schooler and said to find the patriarchy, it's most middle schoolers going to be like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Some of these middle schoolers now they're on TikTok. They no. are. I feel like they know what's going on. I was asking Corey right now, like, what would you define as like? So you're in high school. Yes. Are you asking like, was Mean Girls appropriate for high schoolers? No, I'm saying was Mean Girls appropriate. I saw it in like middle school in 2004. Oh, I, I saw it school. when it came out. I'd say middle school appropriate because the humor was very SNL. Because that's know. fair. Yeah, that's fair. Is SNL appropriate for middle school? Some, maybe not. I don't know. Welcome it back, probably just goes Welcome over back the head. to uh, parenting debates with yeah, uh, Corey and Michael. <laughs> um, well, as somebody <laughs> who was raised with cable TV in their bedroom since birth, um, I grew up. Oh, with, not with the no, TV in the bedroom. Yeah, I grew up with literally no restrictions whatsoever on no. what I could watch. And, I am yeah. jealous. Yeah. I remember my brother, actually, funny enough, I have a memory of my brother. My older brother took me to go see Interview with a Vampire when I was like six years old. And I remember being like, oh, my God, there's boobs in this movie. And my brother's like, He's like don't tell mom. <laughs> Welcome back. West Side Chats, episode five. We are here with Mr. Michael Aubin. Michael, hello. Hello, hello. hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. This is awesome. I'm really happy that we have you on for today. Thanks. Yeah. I've been chomping at the bit to jump on a podcast over the course of as many years as podcasts have been out. You know, some friendly conversations between best friends. I'm like, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. We can do that. (laughs) That's the goal here. That's, that's really all we're trying to do at the end of the day. That's not entirely true. We do have another ulterior motive for this podcast and it's focused around the chakras. Wow. I'm the king of segues today. So (laughs) (laughs) somebody's going to do it, Joe. Somebody has to do it. You know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. So episode five, each episode is themed around a chakra. At some point I'll stop saying that probably after we've done our first season So today we are talking about what is referred to as throat chakra. And I actually think that's a bit of a misnomer and we'll we'll maybe get into a a little bit of that discussion today. But today is throat chakra. It's our fifth chakra. The color that we typically associate with this chakra is blue. In doing research, right, we usually try to talk about the, the true Sanskrit name of the word. This is typically referred to as Vishuddha chakra. Sorry, tripping over my words here. Corey, do you want to talk a little bit more, a little bit of your perspective on this? I have quite a bit on this one, actually, but I'll save I'll save some of it. I do. I actually feel very connected to the throat chakra, and Michael mm-hmm. does too. We can get into Michael yeah, and his yoga course. journey, but in Michael's class last week, if you remember, Maria, I said, uses the heart chakra sound bowl to end her class, and Michael actually has the throat chakra, I believe. Is that correct? Throat and third eye, yeah. Throat and third eye, yeah. I find that when you are 
purchasing a sound bowl to use, you often gravitate towards the note, the chakra, the part of the body that you resonate with the most. I would grab the throat chakra if I was in the market for a bowl. Um, But anyways, yeah, the throat chakra is our center for um, communication. It's the space where we speak our mind, um, but also the space where we sometimes question whether we should say something. It's a space similar to, I would say, the hips and maybe the solar plexus where you can really feel a block there. We all know that feeling of like a frog in the throat Mm -hmm. where your throat gets really dry. Um, You feel like you can't say anything. Maybe you held off from saying something for so long that it's gotten to a point where you just can't even imagine saying it anymore. Uh, So I always like to talk about throat chakra just in the in the sense of relating it back to, you know, an experience maybe where you should have said something, spoken your truth, and you didn't. And then, you know, the rest of the body kind of created a big block because of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot we can talk about in terms of speaking your mind, living your truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we can pretend to try and be somebody that we're not, and then we don't actually speak authentically about who we are, or who we want to be. So there's a lot that we can dig into there. And I find that it's it's an area that that can be blocked really, mm-hmm. really easily. Michael, you have any uh, perspective you want to add? Yeah. So throat chakra is actually the first one where we leave the earthly elements of mm-hmm. chakras. It's the gateway, the nexus between heart chakra and the rest of the chakras that go up into the more the ethereal plane. And it's that chakra that connects the emotional part of the heart center to come to the thinking center of the brain and have those two combine in order to speak freely, authentically, safely, um, and really find the words to have the truest expression of what you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Michael hasn't been up with a toddler for two days. Uh, so eloquent, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, that, 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 was, that was fantastic, actually. The only thing I want to add that, you know, in doing some research for this episode and one of the things I found interesting, which, uh, thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> it's always my first stopping point, regardless of whatever it is that I'm looking up. And I love that, you know, when you were a kid, you were told, no, oh, don't use Wikipedia. Anyways, a really good description just right out of Wikipedia for talking about throat chakra. It referred to the chakra as a purification center mm. with the idea being that it's almost acting like the filter that is either feeding our lower chakras. I think the word that was used on the page was honey or poison. It's like kind of that duality. And the idea essentially was that the way in which you speak or whether the expression is true or not, that can manifest lower in the body. One of the things that kind of popped out to me on the page as well was that the feeling of guilt can be one of the greatest blockers of energy in the throat chakra, which is why I said before I was going to challenge a little bit Mm. that throat chakra I think might be a bit of a misnomer because a lot of what this chakra focuses on specifically in the body, if we think about a physical location for it, is actually in the thyroid. And it deals a lot more with kind of hormone release, stresses related to that. Again, that concept of guilt, if you're feeling guilty, you may have done something bad. You may have lied about something, right? And, And that feeling manifests as, you know, you feel like you can't say what you want to say. You mm-hmm. can't speak the truth. I thought that was an interesting way to kind of conceptualize. Yeah. 
We can dig into a lot of that. Yeah, yeah there's a ton that we can um, get into in this chakra. I think the first thing I'd like to do that we've got a little bit of a background to chew on. Um, Michael, would you give us a little bit of your yoga background? Sure. Um, first off, maybe how long have you been uh, teaching yoga and how long have you been teaching with us at Westside? I'm coming up at a year and a half. I think it was like the midsummer. That's it? Yeah. I know. It feels like long. I when, am having a hard time believing when that. When was two years anniversary of when you... July. So just July. Last month. Yeah. So it was It was like the end of July of last year. Mm. Isn't that wild? No, no. You started in... No, no, no. No, there's no way. It was, no, no, no. You're going to be two that. years in August, okay. in September. All right. We'll, yeah, we'll, have, yeah, to, yeah. we'll have to fact check that. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll fact check yeah. it. Um, I've been... <laughs> Who's the fact checker? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have one of those <laughs> Me. yet. Yeah. I like to say... Not to legitimize my yoga teaching career, I have been teaching since day one of teacher training. Um, I okay. had a high level of expectation. My group in particular heaped on us as far as how to be developing to our teaching voices. Mm -hmm. So I, out the gate, may have not been professionally teaching and getting paid to do it. But, you know, since the um, October of 2017, you know, I was literally teaching that night like in my kitchen, forcing anybody to do it if they wanted to mm. or not. And then, you know, I continued to teach. I got hired and I taught until pandemic shut us down and then came back out of the pandemic. I taught virtually. And then after we came out of pandemic, we kind of fumbled into all these other scenarios of trying to teach with reopening. Sure. And a really big pivot was to get the courage to send Corey a text message and be like, hi, I'm Michael. Can I <laughs> possibly teach for you? Yeah. And that actually was the professional pivot that I needed to, you know, really bolster my confidence and leave behind what I was doing before, which was working in retail or in spa services. And now I just focus on teaching full time. And I was one of those people that discovered yoga by accident. I didn't really know what it was. I always thought it was. And I try to tell people, whatever you saw on SNL, like a skit about yoga, that's probably <laughs> my conception of yoga. And then when I realized it was so much more than, you know, just, you know, somebody sitting cross-legged and ideas of Buddha and things of that nature, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I was a runner long distance and... I had friends convince me to go to a yoga class and the draw was it was at a brewery and I could drink beer afterwards. Hmm. And then I walked into the room, I saw the yoga teacher and it was like there was this filter over her, like I couldn't see her clearly. And she was so beautiful. Her name was Rachel. I was just like, wow. I was like, there's like something special about her. And she was just like really warm and inviting. And she walked up to me and she was like, I thought you were my brother, Michael, when I first met you. I was like, oh, or when you first walked in and I was like, oh, my name is Michael. Ha <laughs> ha. And, you know, like the coincidences just kept coming up. And the following day, I went to a yoga studio near my house. It happened to be Kundalini Yoga. Mm. And I did that for like six months, regularly, often. Yeah. And then I was like, what other styles are there? And then I started um, vinyasa. And I was like, this is it. Like this physical stuff is it. And it was hot power vinyasa. And I did that for another six months. And then I was like, I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to do this. And I never looked back since. Yeah. Do you remember what initiated that switch in your head of, you know, this is more than just the caricature of, a, you know, an SNL skit in my head? You know, was it at some point before you started doing your teacher training? Um, was it in a class? Was it in your teacher training? When did you kind of make that connection that like, oh, wow, there's there's a lot 
more here? There was a point in time where the practice of Kundalini started getting really intense. I started getting really into the breathing techniques and the Kriyas and the sound stuff. And I started having uh, really wild visions in Shavasana that would correlate to what was happening to my friends in real life. And I've always been a fan of like the supernatural and things of that nature. And I remember one day I um, had this like vision Shavasana of this like circle of rats. And I was like, that was so strange. And I called my friend to let her know like what I had seen. And she was like, no word of a lie. The other day before I gave birth to the baby, I just was like doodling. And she had drawn a circle of rats chasing each other into like a hole. And it was so specific to what I had seen in my Shavasana to the point where her husband was like, you guys are freaking me out. Get off speakerphone. Right. And yeah. <laughs> right now you're looking the at thing each other. Is though, trying, we're trying not to talk about I like, Well, the thing is, wow, I know this has happened. Wild. Not to make this whole podcast about this, but Michael has had other instances of this. I think Caitlin's pregnancy was one. Mm -hmm. And you do have a ghost that follows you around. So yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. On the supernatural topic, I'll share questionable whether he's still with us or not. But we have a ghost that likes to visit the studio. We've walked in in the mornings and the lights have been on. The changing room door is locked from the inside. There is no way to get out of that and room. And it's a stubborn locked lock. If you've taken class at the studio, it is a very stubborn locked lock. You have to like really grab the hand. You have to grab just the handle of it and really get it right. Lift it's, the door a little bit. It's very annoying. So, you know, <laughs> and then like the door has blown open in the middle of class. We have these little statues on top of a picture frame that's standing up on top of the desk. It shows like prices and everything. That picture frame has fallen on the floor while someone has been in the studio. But the little statues are perfectly placed on the desk where the frame was. And the water fountain has gone off, which is a sensor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, not for nothing. There might actually be something here. Michael might really um, have some Yeah, well, well, the thing is, so that kind of spark of... Sorry, that's wild. Yeah. Wild. It's a total spark. And I was like, well, oh, that's really cool. And then start Googling yoga. What is mm -hmm. it? What are these different things? And then chakras come up, right? Mm -hmm. These energy centers in the body. Cool. Mm -hmm. right? And then you start learning of these rishis from like mm -hmm. way back in the day, thousands of years ago, yoga practitioners who meditate and channel energy... And then there's possibilities that they could fly and levitate and talk to animals and control the elements. And I'm me, I'm like, I'm an X-Man fan. I like comic books and stuff. So I was like, that's wild. And it just slowly got me deeper into it. And, you know, then I found the physical part of it. And I really like the physical part of it. More so the endurance part of it, of yoga. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the gym. Uh, my whole family, my brothers are all very like gym ratty people. And I just never gravitated towards that style of movement. Um, and I always lived in my imagination. So moving in a specific way to channel the energy in my body that actually was prompting my intuition to like see things and be more sensitive psychically really got me fascinated. And and it's just, it's a deeper dive, like the deeper you go, like the more there is to discover and it's infinite. And Circling all the way back to now, like my yoga practice and teaching, I've actually am really grateful because now I'm at this point in my yoga practice where I'm starting to recognize like I have a soul and a spirit and I've never thought conceptually like that before. And even having thoughts of like God, I've never thought like that before until the last couple of years. Hmm. So that power in this movement modality, plus the power of community too. I'm a social person. I like being around people. 
I thrive in social circles, whether it's, you know, just hanging out or being part of a team. You know, I like the team aspect of everything. And one time the ghost of West Side, I remember one time I was panicking because I pulled up and I was like, I don't have a key. I don't have a key to get in. Oh my God. And then Maria, bless her heart, ran by and she had put the key in the mailbox for me. When I went to go get the mailbox that was right next to the door, the, both of the doors to the studio were just blowing in the wind. I didn't need a key to get in. I was like, well, I panicked for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. This is why I like to say it's a poltergeist as opposed to anything else because traditionally they're playful and, uh, you know, not intimidating yeah, or, but they or angry. they let Michael in. Yeah. 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 I, well, that's what I mean, right? Yeah. They're, they're friendly, but they're pestering. So <laughs> that's well, an amazing. I actually, yeah, it could be a spirit of um, one of my primary care physicians. Oh. Because. Oh boy. <laughs> Well, so it turns out, actually, the studio space used to be owned by one of my doctor's grandparents. And he actually grew up in this house across the street, playing around in this you mean, house. Do you, you mean in the building that this we're building, in right now? The building that okay. we're in, his grandparents lived here and they owned that building and had a shop in there. And he like grew up running around these streets. And when I told him the address, he was like, I know that space. You teach yoga there? That's a yoga studio now? Wow. Yeah. Wow. What kind of store was it? I think it was a pharmacy. Wow. Or and, a malt shop. I think okay. those two were the same back in like the yeah. in like the seventies. Wow. Yeah. I would love pictures of that. So it was like a pharmacy shop per your friend in the seventies. Yeah. At some point in the early two thousands, it was a it was like a Spanish bodega. No kidding, really? Yeah. Because somebody who lived was it in this building too? These buildings are connected. Yeah. Like lived in this building, was going to college and it was a Spanish bodega. They said it was so hot all the time. Yeah. So when I saw this guy and he told me, he was like, it's perfect for a yoga studio. I just yeah. remember it was always so hot yeah. when you would go in there. Yeah. It is kind of funny because if you were to look at the studio, right? I mean, it is kind of like kitty corner on the sidewalk, yeah. right? It is kind of like- Oh, it's a perfect Yeah, it's, it is kind of like at- Yeah, exactly. Anyways, yeah, yeah, and then it was an, it was an art gallery after that. Um, yeah, so maybe our ghost, um, the raincoat store, the raincoat. Maybe store. it was somebody who got stuck in a raincoat and couldn't get out. Oh boy, and he's been at the studio ever since. <laughs> <laughs> maybe our ghost is just uh, trying to get a malt soda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <see? laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. Um. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for sharing that, Michael. I can confirm, by the way, the oh fact checker, aka me, <laughs> the fact checker, aka me said that you started teaching on August 5th of 2021. Okay, cool. And Julia texted me. me, Happy anniversary to you. Julia just said, hi, (laughs) Michael. Remind him he's teaching at four. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wait, I didn't know that. This much I know. Yeah. Michael knows this. Well, right. Well, Um, Michael knows his schedule. That's good. So Um, anyways, I did not know that you got into yoga with Kundalini first. And then you found kind of power and journey into power after that yes um what was that like could you share a little bit about that so i was teaching power vinyasa generally at rafa for the first couple of years of me teaching and um i really settled into the structure and discipline that rafa had instilled in the teacher training you know straightforward move the body get them to sweat don't fluff it up just point a to point b give them that physical experience because you know first and foremost we're not trying to like shift their souls we're just trying to shift their body so the some other perspective changes and you're saying that was the like philosophy of their teacher training uh yeah like well for me with me teaching like just 
say the words. Don't be afraid to just speak. Mm -hmm. Speak the words. Mm -hmm. Make the move. Be an observer of their body mm -hmm. language. Got you know, it. and with throat chakra, that's a relevant thing. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. So just speaking, speaking in public, like be having a confident speaking voice. And, you know, I developed that. I feel pretty early. Like I was not afraid to step into a room full of people and start talking. And then Rafa was like, you ever heard of Baron Baptiste? I said, no. She's like, he's a world famous yogi. I'm like, never heard of him. She's like, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. She said, well, here's the training. Check this out. She said, go to Boston and go to the Cambridge Institute in Boston. That was a Brendan and uh, Naima's studio. And I went to class there and I was like, whoa, right, right from the get. Mm -hmm. It was insane. Yeah. So it was Journey into Power. I came back from Boston and Rafa was like, what'd you think? She's like, do you want to go to that training? It comes up in a few weeks. I was like, sure. Hell yeah. And then I went, went to okay. the training. It was very structured the way I needed it to be. I got out of it exactly what I needed specifically. And I came back with that sequence and it was just that bow on, you know, the skeletal structure of my teaching. And mm. I kind of just like was ablaze from there, like really shifted my confidence in teaching. Yeah. And I love that sequence. It's so bulletproof. And as you guys know, I know you guys like that sequence mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Anytime I have like a bit of a rough day or, or maybe the energy isn't quite there, that sequence is so sure through fire from beginning yeah. to end. Corey and I have talked about this before, I think on the show, but unwittingly our first yoga experience was a very traditional Baptiste power flow. And that was our first yoga experience. No real philosophical background, certainly no actual class or asana experience, anything like that. And it was our first and we were hooked from the jump. Dave. Huh? Yes, Dave. Dave was amazing. We'll, and we'll, we'll, um, I, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about Dave another time. But no, we we were yeah, we were hooked on Baptiste from from the jump. Essentially, Baptiste was really all I knew. Yeah. And then and Baron has, if you're not familiar, he has something called 40 Days to Personal Revolution. Revolution. Yeah. And it's a 40 day program. I'm not sure if all studios do it differently or if it's the same, but basically you attend four physical practices a week and then you would have one workshop outside of, of the physical practice. And when I was at our first studio, I decided to do the 40 days because we were going, I mean, four times a week that initial year when we started yep. our practice. And that's when I was like, oh, there's more to yoga for sure than just yeah. physical. I think I did two workshops on the chakras. I forget what the other two were, but it was in one of those moments when I said, oh, I am meant to teach this. Yeah. So it's like once you start to realize there's a little bit more. Totally. But I want to go back to what you were talking about, the sequence. And I think with your sequence, that Baptiste sequence that you have as like your anchor or like your yeah, your anchor, your backup plan. Mm -hmm. if, I mean, we all have those when we're feeling shitty. Like when I sub last minute, sometimes people are like, wow, how do you even come up with that? It's like, well, after years, you just have a couple that you know hit every time, Absolutely. right? <laughs> and um, I call them like movement just is good classes. Yeah. Like there's, you're not necessarily working on like a part of a body or an arm balance, but Anyways, with the sequence and with that training, it's almost like he gave you like the words to use. Mm -hmm. because I feel like you speak the same way. It's like set, like you start with your dharma and then you like take it through. And did you feel like you had more, it was easier for you to talk in class once you had that or were you fine before that? Well, here's one thing that I have never really done until the last year was I've never from teacher training sat down and wrote out a class from beginning to end. That was so much stress put on me that... 
Uh, my little ADHD brain just mm-hmm. could not process that. And the delivery in which I would try to come up with something like that never really felt authentic to me. You know, I would always take the things in Power Vinyasa's pre-Baptiste that I really liked and incorporated that into flows. And you just weave those into your sun salutations, right? Mm-hmm. Those different combinations. And I always got, for the most part, at the beginning and as I developed, I always got really good feedback. So when I went to level one, I was like, whoa, I was like, this is it, right? It's such a structured way of learning that I need. That's how I learned, mm-hmm. right? And it really does provide that backbone where mm-hmm. you just, it's bulletproof. Yeah. And it's like super solid. And it's funny, I teach at a chain of gyms. And I teach the Baptine sequence at the gym and it's really gotten a lot of traction with a lot of bodies of all various Mm. types in a very short amount of time, Mm. which is super cool. Yeah. I think the reason we kind of fell in love with it is that I think it's good for people who don't really have any familiarity or background with yoga, especially for people who come from an athletics background of some kind, because one, it's hard. Right. Yoga doesn't have to be hard. You Mm -hmm. don't have to sweat. That's certainly not the intention of performing asana. It's a benefit. It's there, but it's not the sole intention. But doing a super hard, super sweaty Baptiste sequence, it just kind of forces you to get out of your own head because you're moving so much. You have to breathe with it. And for athletes, it's good because you get that sweat, you get that rush. You're like, wow, this feels good. And then it's just a different sensation in the body. It is very addicting. And I think it's a great entry point. You know, Corey and I have that experience. You know, you actually kind of took maybe the opposite route that we did where we kind of came from it at more of a purely physical point, whereas you entered with the kundalini experience where Mm -hmm. you were maybe kind of on the more spiritual side and then you went into kind of the journey into power path. But um, it really is a phenomenal way to get introduced to to Mm -hmm. yoga. Well, what's really cool too about that sequence is because it's so structured from beginning to end, it over time in a very short amount of time imprints into your nervous system. Yeah. And it also gives you context to a sort of accomplishment towards the end of the practice. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, the standing one-legged balances are over. So we're going to come into that triangle series. And after triangle series, uh, all right, just a little bit of ab work. And then it's the release. And then what five we've all back been looking bends. For. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, then the back bends. No, I, did, no, actually, I love I, so, so yesterday, so today's Sunday. Yeah, I've been teaching because 90 minutes is such a beautiful way to express uh, journey into power. I've been teaching that like every Saturday, the last like three uh. Saturdays in a row. And I was like, okay. And we have a student named Jen and she's a Baptiste person. And I was like, hey, Jen, how many backbends are in Journey into Power? And she goes, six. And I was like, (laughs) all right, so uh, let's go for six. And usually by number four is when the hysterical laughter in the room breaks out. (laughs) And and that happened yesterday. There was a couple of people who were like, is this kid kidding me? Six of these is it six? I thought it was five. It's oh, five six. and seventy-five minutes. It's no, it's oh. it's you. It's always six. He's always changing. What? <laughs> add an extra one in there. I really thought it was five. <laughs> so it's six, and then of course you know at at training he's like, guys, six feels so good. Seven's gonna feel even better, huh. right? And then we get to seven. And he was like, come on, eight's where it makes you feel great, and you're like, oh god. And then you know you get to your tenth one, and you're just like euphoric, right? That, yeah. yeah. That expressive heart throat opener, right? It's just, you know, it's just like one of those things that just fire you up. Mm -hmm. When I was pregnant and I started crying in the showers because I was having some who knows what hormonal 
breakdown about my yoga practice. And at the time I had started with Baptiste and over the years it had pivoted into like trying out yoga and cardio and yoga plus, right? And mm-hmm. and it was almost like too physical and I had lost some of these like spiritual elements of the practice. Mm-hmm. We were also in the middle of like trying to figure out what we were going to do with our old studio space that we had taken over. I had the vision of West Side, but there was nothing to make it tangible. So I cried a lot in the shower thinking about what my yoga practice had become because it didn't feel like the same to me. And I remember researching like level one training. And I'm like seven months pregnant. And I'm like in my head, I don't know if I ever told you this. In my head, I was like, I could go. And there was one that was happening. And I was like going to be eight months pregnant. I was like, I I could do it. I could do it. And I and I really I'm glad you didn't do it eight I, months pregnant. I don't think he would have taken me. <laughs> Joe you think Joe would have let me what get on a plane? I'm like, what is <laughs> I just no, remember. No, instead she just opened a new location and switched studios and all that. Well, and that was well, after the baby. But what it did was it I was like, I need to get back to what my roots of this practice were because I had gotten so far away from them. And even in these moments where I was crying and hysterically thinking I could fly to wherever to go do a training at eight months pregnant, even just like writing that out and like saying it to myself in the shower, like helped me figure out what I ultimately needed to do, which was open this location here. And even though I didn't speak those, I thought maybe I had said them to Joe, but clearly not. I just had these like existential crises in my head. Also, as we established earlier, my memory is kind of shit. So, you know, it's, it's possible. But it was this, the, I think it was the idea of actually writing it on a piece of paper or like, Mm -hmm. as we relate back to the throat chakra, right? It was like, I had to get it out of my head. And the second I wrote it or said it to myself, I could hear it or read it. And then I could start to make something out of it instead of just keeping it inside. I remember blurting out to Joe, like, I don't know what my practice is. I don't know what's happening. And just like getting it out of me helped to then formulate what the plan was. Yeah. We've all experienced something like that, well, but you just gotta like blurt it out. Important element of the throat chakra's facilitation mm-hmm. of the emotional experience. Cause we're already in this hard concrete reality and everything is really there to disrupt our thought patterns, right? The vrittis, what that's mm-hmm. what they call them, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have an emotional response to those things before we have a logical response. Mm-hmm. So processing the earthly experience into the ethereal to give it context in a way that you really understood where your where your perception is going to and you know saying it out loud that is a way to really good way to express your throat chakra right those are like one of the first exercises they tell you to do either sing or say your truth of what you're feeling out loud you could walk down the street and say it to nobody and it doesn't have to be for somebody's ears to hear you know so that's why i think journaling is so powerful for this reason, right? It's like I, I've fallen off. Joe was really trying to keep me on track with like journaling before bed. And I was actually feeling really good. And I felt in those moments where I was feeling so frustrated, just writing. I know my mom listens to us, so I won't say a bad word. Writing bad words. On well, I already did. Sorry, I, No, no. I think just like writing, like I hate every, like even though it feels like there's a lot bubbling up, just to even write it and get it out on paper, mm-hmm. I could actually like calm myself down a little bit in whatever moment or whatever was making me feel frustrated. Yeah. This is a good segue, actually. With the throat chakra, you know, what you just said, Corey, it made me think of honesty 
and I, I think it applies to sort of being honest with yourself, right? Part of what we can talk about with the chakra, I said before, it's described as like a purification center, right? And it kind of drips the results of whatever it's receiving to the lower chakras. It's helping me think about that visually. But what it's really talking about, right, is kind of purity of thought and purity of words. And when I thought about that, you know, I was thinking like, well, well, what does that mean, right? Does that just mean don't curse, you know, don't say mean things to people, right? Like, is it literally just that? Or does it also, and I think it does, does it also imply how you talk to yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, not just purity of words in the character of the words in the sense of, you know, saying a swear word or something that's a, you know, less than savory way to describe something. It's kind of purity of character versus purity of intention or purity of, you know, is it truth? It's veracity. Are You know, are you lying to someone else? But then are you, are you lying to yourself? Are you trying to deceive yourself? Which I think we all are guilty of yeah whether we want to admit it or not so i would say that lying and deceit are cultivated traits right and when in context of throat chakra i feel like the truthfulness aspect that you want to cultivate is a an awareness of the self of again fluctuations of the mind that cause us to sort of be amnesiac of what our experiences on this earthly realm right if you Mm -hmm. want to get really heady we're spirit, soul first, right? And we're perfect, right? We exist in an infinite state. We live forever. And there's so many things in the way to disrupt that type of thinking where you start to like trick yourself into like not believing in certain things. Mm-hmm. So I would say like without being somebody who's like, oh, somebody who lies all the time or gossips all the time, it's really more of a spiritual thing of like a self-realization, right? in the context of yoga anyways. And even if you want to have the context of just solely focusing on the chakras, but in the context of yoga, it's to eliminate the self-limiting beliefs about yourself. That's like the truthfulness part of it that I really like to explore. And you try not to be deceptive with the way you feel about things, right? And deceptive in a way of like, not just flat out telling a lie, but things like, hey, are you feeling okay today? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. You know, those are the types Mm -hmm. of because lying just seems so calculated. Yeah. And that's the same concept of like gossip. Those are very calculated opinions yeah. that you have or stories that you tell. So I think more deception in that part, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lying is very one dimensional. Yeah. And like being, just being like truthful with yourself and saying it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not feeling okay, be like, I don't feel so good. Yeah. Right? Today's not a good day. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting yeah. because I do work in a corporate environment as well. Mm-hmm. And you walk down the hall, you see, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, same old. Oh, another day in paradise. Yeah. Living the dream. Oh, <laughs> living the dream. Cringe. I mean, oh, God. and the thing is, is you know that's not the truth, right? No. But the second you actually say how you actually feel, it really throws people off. So I am one. Even if it's great. Even if it's great. That, whoa, they're great. I Yeah. Like people will come to me. Oh, hey, how are you doing? I mean, none of those phrases are coming out of my mouth. I am fucking tired. Let me tell you. (laughs) I'm like, you're asking? Great. Well. (laughs) Let me share. Let me share. Sit down. Um, And I think it's funny, like at work per se, because I do that, I have opened myself up to 
And I think people know that I'm a yoga instructor and I facilitate groups and community. People do come to me and we talk about Mm -hmm. things. And I'm so happy to do that. I'm happy to listen to what someone's going through and share my experience. But that's not the norm, especially in a corporate setting or even in our regular just everyday life. We're fine with these I don't know, toxic positivity, fake <laughs> yeah. casualty, what, is that word? whatever yeah, that sure. word is, right? But um, dishonest. Dishonest. Yeah. Yeah. It is being dishonest. Unless if you are really great, that's great. Yeah. Say it. But we've allowed these like things to like filtrate our lives where like it's okay to be like, oh, another day in paradise. Like who made that yeah. up? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> to- toxic positivity is the perfect way to, yes. th- that's exactly what this is. Yep. Um, it's saying, It's just trying to be positive in the face of either negative external stimuli or negative internal stimuli, negative emotion, right? It's the same concept. You know, you were saying before, right? It's not necessarily lying. It can be more deceit. It can be more, you know, lying is kind of the wrong word. But at the same time, it all comes back to almost a form of lying, whether it's lying to others or kind of lying to yourself, even if you might not know that it is lying. Well, it is because then eventually you'll start well, it, to believe that maybe you're supposed to be fine yeah. when if right. in reality then you're you start not. believing it. Well, what happens is it's called low frequency vibration. That's it. <laughs> and then when you live in low frequency, you can't have an opportunity to receive what you need yep. or speak up for yourself. Yep. You know, so that's actually a really good point because if we relate it back to, again, the chakra and its position in the body, right? We talked about the throat chakra being blocked, right? It, it kind of blocks that connection between kind of the more cerebral, ethereal chakras that are above the throat and everything below the throat. And then everything that's below the throat, the lower you go in the body, it's a lower vibration. It's a lower frequency that associates with that chakra. And so you're exactly right. It's actually, you want them all high vibration. They're all just lower notes, lower tones. Mm. So it's not low vibration, but it's just that lower octave, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And they have to be low at the bottom because they can't be moving that quickly. So, but those root ones, even the root chakra, when people, if I do a class that's based on like a root chakra class, you know, I'm like, you guys, we go through root chakra to connect the energy to the earth because if you have a disrupted root chakra, your mind will play tricks on you and reality will not look like what it really is, mm-hmm. you know? And and I like the idea that the throat chakra is that instance of all of those culminating up to that bottleneck of experience yeah. and challenging the mind to be yeah. like, all of this combined is what's going to help me be expressive in the, the way that I need to be as well. One thing that I think too, actually, because if you even just talk about speech, it's not even that, expressing authenticity through speech, but it's also the creative authenticity of you know, who you're trying to be. So like whether you're an artist, a singer, but one of the biggest things that I remember my throat chakra when it was blocked when I was younger was I was too shy to dance in front of people. Mm-hmm. And that's a big one. Like physical expression of your body is such a huge thing that I remember I just like wouldn't dance. And then one day I started dancing. You can't stop me. (laughs) But um, it's all of it working in in unison. And the throat chakra is really where it it all starts to connect to try to find that perfect pitch throughout each of them. Mm -hmm. If I'm going off on a tangent, sorry. No, 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 please always correct me when I say something wrong. That's why we, again, why we have guests on this show. Plus you you explained part of what I was trying to say a lot more eloquently than I did. So thumbs well, up. And the thing is too, is I get like nerdy with this stuff mm-hmm. because it's supernatural, right? It's metaphysical. 
it exists beyond the physical shell of what we're experiencing. And there's this like whole other veil beyond the mm -hmm. other side. And all we know is pictures and theory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I'll get a little bit of it. I'll feel it. I'm going to be mm -hmm. like, whoa. Yeah. And one of the exercises I've been doing all week leading up to this, so I wasn't nervous um, about speaking about this topic on a microphone. Um, <laughs> my heart rate has gone down since then, and I'm actually more excited. But I was having to do an exercise where we would sigh out without whispering. I was like, hey, everybody, we're going to sigh out. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear the authentic tone of your exhale. I want to hear your specific voice. I don't want to hear a whisper. I want to hear in the back of the room. I want I want to know I can hear Maria go, ah, right? So we did that a couple of times. I was like, and now we're going to use that same authentic tone to create the vibration of Om. And there were a couple of times this week where everybody did Om. And it was so in sync. And some people can't feel it because it's usually the ohm towards the teacher. But I'm like, is the vibration of their voices bouncing off the metal panels of the studio? Because it almost feels like as everybody's individual tone was warped together, like mixing, it was like this like bell chime. And I was like, am I hearing angels right now? It was very, very bizarre. And it's happened twice in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, I just have goosebumps even talking yeah. about it. There was this resonated tone in the room. Yeah, it's the overtone. Yeah. And it only happens, it doesn't happen all the time. And this is like in any sort of group. You, you want to talk voice. about you want to talk about getting nerdy. This is this is fantastic for for the two singers I, and a recording engineer. This is awesome. The, you can tell when the ohm is together, what you're saying, when the energy and everybody is in sync. Yeah. And and we obviously we the teacher begins the ohm with a tone and in some classes not everyone can hear pitch and they yeah. just go <laughs> off on their own and yeah. woo sometimes it's tough. Yeah. But don't be afraid to ohm. Yeah, Always ohm. There is nothing wrong. Always ohm. The There's nothing wrong. Always. What I was going to say is that the the feeling that you're experiencing <laughs> when everyone is together on one note and it resonates that much there is an overtone that you can hear, which is probably exactly what you were hearing. And it's so beautiful. It yeah. sounded like bells chiming. Yeah. It was so I was in your class on Wednesday yeah. and you talked about afterwards that we had an omen at the end of class. Okay. So it was one of those classes. It's crazy. You know, you talk about like the whole being greater than the sum of the parts, right? I mean, that's that's what it is where everything kind of stacks up. Scientifically, yeah, it, it's identifiable. It's an overtone. We hear it in music all the time. It's just a, you know, resonance. It's the same thing like when you have a, you know, crystal glass and move your finger around the top, but it's an alignment taking place that doesn't always happen. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And it, it's, it's happened a couple of times, but that one was probably the first one. I was like, what was that? Wow. And then I was like, was that an angel? I swear. I was like, was that an angel? Because it was so non-male and non-female mm -hmm. at the same time that I, I literally was like, what was that? And then I'll have a vision about somebody not feeding their cat. And I'll be like, does somebody forget to feed their cat? And everybody laughs. But that one particular time, <laughs> it was wild. Did you hear it? I remember feeling more of a resonance in my body than I normally do. Yeah. Um, when we do ohm. I don't know if I specifically noticed or heard. I've been kind of like semi-sick for weeks now and my I feel like it's it's affected my my hearing. So I, I don't think I heard it, but I felt yeah. something more than what I normally feel. Like I finished it and I was like, ooh, that, that was, was a little that, that was it, strange. That, mo that yeah. moved through you. Mm -hmm. But imagine exactly. me where the room's full and all that vibration is directed towards it. me. Yeah. 
Um, that happened to me yesterday, actually. I, And again, I don't have this experience every time either. And I ohm after all my classes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just an ohm and we say goodbye and sometimes it lingers and you can feel that everyone can feel it. It's interesting that you said you felt like it was after you had them kind of do these like audible exhales, like a lot of work just like in expressing and letting things out of the body. I feel like mine was I had had a bad day the day before. I felt like I was vibrating low. And then I came into the studio and I feel like I was vibrating low and I was trying to cultivate the energy to go teach a class and make myself feel better to go lead a group of people. And I felt like I didn't have any sort of a plan before. I also, like Michael, don't write things down. But I walked into the room and and I just kind of started and it just started to happen. And um, I didn't think too much about it. I just kind of said my thoughts. I didn't overthink what I said, which sometimes you do. And I feel like I got to the end. It was a really good class. And we exhaled all together. And like, I could feel like I could feel the vibration of people's exhales. And then when we got to the ohm, I feel like nobody wanted it to end. And I like felt it, like the vibrations hitting me. And after class, everyone just was like sitting there. Yeah. That's the silence. Just sitting there. No one moved. No one wanted to quickly hurry up. It was unbelievable and everyone just like we just opened and like looked at each other and I was like wow thank you guys I had a horrible day yesterday (laughs) like this is this is what I needed Mm. um and I think too just saying that you know out loud you had a bad day and And, like this is what you needed and you hold such a reverence for that experience where you just had a moment where even your body language shifted and you whispered because it was like that beautiful. And you were like, I want to hold on to that, you know? Because that's what it, that's yeah. what it felt like. But when like. you were talking, I don't even know if this will register. I'll try to make a bookmark in my brain when I re-listen to this. But as you were talking, I went, yeah. I like whispered, <laughs> yeah, into the microphone because I knew exactly <laughs> what you meant. And I was like, I know what she means. <laughs> so, I love that. Um, yeah. And But also too, the thing, uh, when we channel throat chakra, right, I'm obviously using my voice to teach the class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe to jump back a little bit too, like I'm a gay man. I'm openly gay. And I grew up in a time where it wasn't the most popular thing to be gay in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I'm pretty sure every joke in every comedy movie is, you know, the F word, the three-lettered one. And I remember being prepubescent, postpubescent. And I remember just talking, being like, hey, guys, what's going on? And they're like, you sound like a fag or you sound like a girl. Are you gay? And then these were like things thrown at me. I didn't even know what that word meant. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always really always checked myself when I would like meet new people because I was afraid to talk out loud because, I mean, until my mid-teens, I would answer the phone and everybody would be like, mm-hmm. my mom's name is Terry. She'd be like, hey, Terry, what are you doing? I'm like, this is Michael. It's not my mom. Like everybody was confused me for my mom on the phone. So there was a long period of time where my voice was really stuck. I was afraid to mm-hmm. use it. I would cultivate like a deeper tone in my voice to speak. And I would always try to um, hush down the gay side of my personality because it was always like, don't act like that. Don't Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. You're being a girl or stop acting like a girl. And anytime I would get emotional with my family, they'd be like, you're such a girl right now. And so it was really instilled into me to not be myself, my authentic self, you know, and it's not like I wanted to like dress up in girls clothes or do drag or anything like that. But I just wanted to be like, 
just into more girlier things, right? Like I like the fashion shows. I want to watch America's Next Top Model. I'm super into, you know, American Idol and things like that. Yeah. But those were always things that were inappropriate because, you know, I'm a boy. And of course, you know, when things like that get suppressed at home and in social circles, they manifest in other ways, like talking too much at school and getting in trouble all the time and be over talkative and oversharing because mm -hmm. I'm afraid I'm not going to get my point in. So I have to be like, and this and this and this and this. And then they're like, you're annoying. Stop talking so much. Mm -hmm. Or there would be this thing where I would talk too fast yeah. and people would be like, what are you saying? I can't understand what you're saying right now. You're talking too fast. And I would get really frustrated and any confrontation I used to be met with for a really long time, if I would ever have to quote unquote answer for myself or my actions, I would hysterically cry. Mm. Literally like the only thing that I could do is just cry, but not a normal cry, but like one of those cries that would be like hyperventilating, can't formulate my words type of cry. Like an ugly cry. Could you not say? even. No, like no, a, I know what you're talking about. Like a about. hyperventilating, like why I didn't mean yeah. to do that, like yeah, yeah. things of that nature. So when I became a younger adult, I actually, what actually kind of really blossomed my communication skills was I started working in jobs where it was like customer service oriented and I was always a people person going back all the way to starting to teach asana really helped to cultivate throat chakra and giving myself the confidence to speak freely and act silly and embrace my feminine side um, and be my authentic self and let that authentic self repel the people that like don't want any part of that energy because that's not my people and the authentic part of myself that I try to present all the best people in my life that energy gets invited in and it just multiplies the confidence in the self and then it translates to how you are a teacher and can relate to other people and it's also made me become a really big listener as well mm -hmm. like being able to sit and actually not wait for them to stop talking so i can be like and then this is about me next right another little tangent but cultivating that voice with teaching yoga specifically becoming a better listener as well and where the listening part comes to is definitely with my eyes and watching people's body language in class. Mm -hmm. um, that's another big thing where cultivating the power of throat chakra, which is why I was so resonant with it, is because it's to become a better listener, even to the tone of the breath in the room. 100%. So. When I taught throat a few weeks ago, my whole theme was about listening, not mm -hmm. actually speaking, but how can we listen better to our bodies, yeah. to what's going on around us? Other people other people knowing when you should listen versus just start speaking over somebody or listen and try to relate to them by being like, I've had a similar situation like that happen to me in my life, you know, yeah. playing tit for tat with somebody mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not in a competitive way, but sometimes it's a way of being like, Oh, I've been through that too. So I know how it feels. If you have been through, you know how it feels through a situation where you know what that person has felt like because you felt like that. It's not like you need to say what your counter situation was to that. Right. You can just be like, yeah, I've been there. It sucks. Right. And I've had to learn to do that. Actually, a couple of years ago, I had a really valuable opportunity to like have a light shed on that behavior that I would do. Like somebody would tell me about themselves and then I would tell a similar thing about myself. And I was teaching for Angela at BYE. And she's like, are you okay with feedback? She was like, I just have some feedback for you. And I was like, sure. She's like, everybody loves you. You're great. Um, your energy is so good. Your classes are so powerful. I love your power. I love the power of your class and your voice. And she meant this in a very motherly way. Like she's like, this is a professional development thing. And I was like, sure. She was like, feedback is everybody loves you. She's like, but sometimes 
a couple of students like, and these students may be a little bit needier, but they were like, they feel like they know a lot about you and you don't know like a lot about them. And at first I was like, hmm. I roll. Okay. Well, if they tell me, you know, this, I have a counter to how I can relate to them. Over time, I started to see, I was like, oh, I'm not being a very good listener. Hmm. Instead, I'm just trying to just constantly relate to what they're doing. And I'm not really taking the time to digest what they're saying to me. And I'm not realizing if it's either a complaint or if it's a wish or hope. Instead, I'm just like going on about myself. And that was something that for the first couple hours, I was like, oh, man, is it my personality? Do I have a bad personality? But no, I was like, yeah, I have to sit back and I talk too much. So maybe I can just be a better listener. And that was one of the big things too. When reviewing, going back into this heart chakra thing, it was a memory that I forgot that I had. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm really grateful for that experience. If you want to bleep names out, you can. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a big compliment. And I actually meant to reach out to Angela and be like, hey, that one thing you said to me, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And at first I took it in a negative way, but I really take it as a positive spin for sure at this point. Yeah. But just being a better listener. So I shouldn't share about how I had a really similar experience as a kid, that would be mm-hmm. not a good thing. To <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, sure. no, I think you should. Yeah, no, I want to well, hear. It's funny as you were saying that I have the same problem. I've had the same problem my entire life with chiming in with things about myself as opposed to listening to someone. I'm not a good listener. I never have been. Um, I know that very well about myself now. But what struck me about what you were saying, I was similar as a young kid in the sense that I was a military brat. I moved around a lot. I think that's that's kind of an important detail. Yeah. Um, you know, first move when I was like seven. And then after that, it was kind of every two to three-ish years, be moving. Change friends, change locations. One of the things that people always got at me for when I would go to a new school and start talking was that I sounded gay, that I had a gay voice, um, especially when I was younger, I was a little higher. And it always bothered me. It always, it was just like, I don't know. I don't think I am. I think my voice is normal. And then I would hear like my own voice and I hated it. Like only recently have I actually started to be tolerant of the sound of my own voice. And I think it's it's just kind of a hangover of of that feeling. So because of that, the more moves I did, the more I would kind of not be listening. And I would just be trying to make friends. And my way of doing that was trying to talk about myself. I would hear someone say something and try to relate it and say, oh, well, I did blah, yeah. blah, blah, right? Make a friend, make that connection. That was like my my style. That's all I knew because I was a little kid. I moved around a bunch. I didn't really have like childhood friends that I kept. And so, you know, that was my way of overcoming any sort of insecurities. And my eventual method of getting over that was through expressing throat shocker in the form of singing. I started doing theater in high school behind the stage. I was a techie first. I did not want to be on stage because I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to talk. I didn't <laughs> want people to hear any of this. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. And we did this show where the techies like had a role. It was like, they were like written into the show. It was a high school production. What do you want? Um, but it was fun. And like, I got to do like some bits on stage just as like a techie and it was really fun. And I was like, oh, wow, I like really enjoyed that. So then the next semester I auditioned for a musical. I got into it, started singing with one of my teachers, started like kind of coaching me on the side for singing. Then I sang in college and did all of that. And it really gave me that confidence to get up and speak publicly. A lot of my career for the past five years has been specifically facilitation and leading workshops in a corporate setting, doing consulting work. And so I think a lot of that came from finding the ability to 
use my voice effectively. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you both have made now references to, you know, it's it's both speaking and listening, right? right? I think the listening part, I know for a fact it's something I struggle with. I'm really, really bad at it. Part of it is that it feels like someone talking in my head all the time that it's just kind of going and going and going. And one of the things I've noticed recently is that the more yoga I do, the more time I actually take to focus on that, the more I'm able to kind of quiet that voice, not just listen to what they're saying, but hear what they're saying yeah. and not try to process it through the lens of how can I relate to that? Yeah, It's a very difficult thing to do. And I think most people struggle with that. Yeah. To navigate that too, I would say is I had to, I do have to develop, um, ADHD just kicked in because I was like, I saw somebody that I want to tell you about. But um, uh, so, but the thing to navigate is you become more of a question asker. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so you have to be like, you know, but outside of just how's your day, showing people you care more than just listening, you know? So uh, that's something that I've had to learn to cultivate as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things that I've been trying to do more is when I meet new people, I don't ask about their job or if they mention what their job is. I'm like, cool. I don't know what an engineer does, but what are your hobbies? Oh, and this one guy uh, recently, he was like, oh, I ride mountain bikes. I'm like, rad, in the woods? He's like, yeah, outside in like the mountains. I was like, oh, like, like really extreme stuff or, and he like was, seemed evasive, like about, he's like, yeah. I was like, are these like pedals or like motorized or both? And he was like, it's motorized. I was like, oh, so that's not mountain biking. What is that? And he was like, well, I do motocross. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I was like, that is sick. Where's your mullet? And then all of a sudden he started laughing and he was in his like mid Mm forties. I was like, do you have like the whole outfit? And he was like, yeah. And he pulls out his phone and he like shows me his outfit and he was like, yeah, this is my Tinder profile. And he just like totally lit up about his hobby. And at first he was looking at me like I was crazy across the table. And then I was just like listening to him and he just was gushing. And for once I was like, he's not really interested in anything that I have to say about yoga, which I'm completely fine. But this is somebody who wants to be heard. And I recognize yeah. that. Yeah. And the more I could see like the joy of him sharing his experience, I was just like, that was only a couple months ago where I was like, I got to do that more. I want to practice that more. Yeah. So there's a level of awareness that we just don't, we're not aware of. You know? Yeah. I find that there are certain times when I'm teaching that I, I like to just like spill my guts, I say, mm-hmm. because I, I find that when I do that, I always get some kind of response after where it's kind of different, where people aren't really like sharing what's going on in their life. And I just kind of share what's going on in mine. As a result, like after class, whether it's right after in person or like DM or text later, they're like, wow, thanks for sharing X, Y, and Z, because I'm going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And like, it was great to just hear that, like, I'm not alone in this. Unlike you guys, I didn't, I actually didn't talk at all, even though I had every opportunity to as a kid. I just didn't really have, I didn't want to talk. I was super quiet. I didn't want to ask questions. I didn't want to speak up. I think I said this on the previous one. My sister was really loud. So I don't know if that had anything to do with like making me feel like I had to be quiet, but I always just kind of kept to myself. I just like- Younger or older? She's younger. Yeah. Before then, I just liked to be with myself. Like I was fine just being alone. And I don't really know what it was. And I don't really know when it changed. But I think it was in college, I think, when I finally like was able to find friends like on my own that I like actually could relate to. It was like, you know, growing up, I went to the same school for 12 years and bullies, girls are mean. Hmm. You know, I only have literally now one friend, my very dear friend, Sam, from 
childhood, really, at the end of the day. I just lost my other one. Mm -hmm. So I was too afraid to like open up and express like there was a lot of bullying on AIM, Mm -hmm. whatever. So like I feel like written words like really affect me maybe more than other people. Like I'd rather someone come at me face to face. Like a written thing feels like very horrible to me. I never, oh my God, I I bet my high school teachers were like, wait, Corey gets up in public and like teaches groups of people. Like that doesn't even make any sense because that's just not what I was like. I was reserved. I was in the pit band. Like I was fine. Just like being in the background. You Um, did debate though. I did do debate. Not debate. I did mock trial. I'm sorry, mock trial. I was really good. And that was really out of my comfort zone. But I think why I was good at it was that I treated it like a performance where like with mock trial, like you have the same case the whole season. I was an attorney. So you have like Mm -hmm. everything, like you're open. And I did the opening statement. So like I had it memorized and it was a performance. And I almost feel like I was able to get into like the character. And if I could step into the character, just like an actor would, right? I feel like there are a lot of actors that are really shy in their real life. But when they step out on their movie, their stage, they embody it. And I feel like I embody the character. And I still do that now. Like the reason I don't get nervous when I go up and present is because I embody and I visualize this person that is like killing it and succeeds and gets the accolades because they are performing amazing. And I don't feel like myself. I feel like another person Mm -hmm. when I go and do those things. Now I feel like myself teaching, but that's taken time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to really kind of embody I see myself standing in front of the room, teaching the class successfully. I can do this. That's a great point because even if you're someone who on the outside, it may seem like you express yourself well or you speak well, it does not mean that you are not struggling with some aspect of your life that you are trying to express yourself as truly as you can, right? I sang for four years in college. I sang before then. I have way more stage experience than the average person. And yet I struggle all the time with speaking truth to my family members Mm -hmm. or expressing what I really feel because I feel like I can't because I feel like I'm going to get shut down, you know, things from my childhood, all of that. So everyone struggles with this, I think, Mm -hmm. even if you think you don't you probably do even if you're someone who thinks you know I'm a good public speaker I'm a good listener I think we would all benefit from looking at ourselves critically in yeah. that respect to get really meta on the topic of throat chakra right <laughs> when you start to excel in experiences in your life that you have a lot of confidence in there's an unwavering truth that you are able to channel especially if you're in a role of communication, delivering something. And because of that level of confidence, right, you become like a master at that aspect of yourself. So that's actually part of your spirit, right? That perfect being just finally getting a glimpse to like just show itself for like Mm. a shining second. You know, like Isla said the other day, how our bodies are the envelope of the soul. Mm -hmm. And when she said that, I could have cried. So it's like your soul wants to be liberated. It wants to be free. And for split seconds, when we have this physical experience, we can tap into the the soul's potential. That's when like the floodgate can open. And it's just, it's almost like the click of a flash when you take a picture. It's like, Mm -hmm. and when you say you feel stuck and wanting to say things to your family members, and it's not because you have, you love so much, right? And it's just, you want to channel that in a way where you're heard. 
but the love that you want to convey can sometimes come across not in the most positive light, right? It can be yeah. like a blame shifty thing. And I have the same issues with my family. So, and sometimes people just aren't ever ready to hear that. And that's why we have this practice to work through those things. That's exactly yeah. it. Because you love so much. Yeah. Right. You love so much. You want to love. Too. No, you do. No, you and do. You, no, you do. Right. You exist in pure love, pure love yeah. state. That's what the bliss state is yeah. in our yoga practice. And we always want to, but so many things to challenge that. And then you know what happens? You go, you know what? <laughs> Never mind. You're lucky I don't say what I really want to say right now. And you hold back because you're like, you know, I don't want to attack them and hurt their feelings on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because that's a pretty violent act. I'm like big on words of affirmation. And the opposite of affirmation is criticism. And that's like a ugh, gut punch, you know? Yeah. So you love. You love. That's a nice end point. Yeah. Exclamation point. Yeah. It's a heart. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Anything else you want to share, Michael? No, I just want to say uh, thanks for all the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. We love you. Yeah, we, Thanks, I was going to say, we love you too. <laughs> <laughs> the physical part of me and the energetic yes. part of me. Yeah, and I love yes. this community and I love being part of greater something than myself. Yeah. Corey? Speak with love, everybody. There you go. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.